Hello and welcome to Football Digest Extra Time, the first one of the new season. Uh, I'm Ned Keating and I'm joined today by the Daily Mirror's Chief Football Writer John Cross and Aaron Flanagan, online sports editor for the Daily Star. Uh, Gents, I trust you both well because obviously football is now and well and truly back. Uh, obviously the Premier League, a brilliant opening weekend uh, on that one. We'll obviously come on to, to some of the more interesting subplots a little bit later on. Brentford having a fantastic uh, return to the top flight. Watford as well winning uh, after one season away in the Championship. Uh, but first things first, we're going to talk uh, Tottenham against Man City. Uh, a 1-0 win for Spurs without Harry Kane. Uh, wasn't playing for either side, obviously, at the weekend um, because of perhaps coming back a little bit too late from his holidays. Um, but even before we, we get back into that game, um, John, just wanted to get your thoughts really on just having fans back in grounds. Obviously, we saw full stadiums throughout the weekend and, and it was a joy to behold from, from home. Um, so what was it like being in the stadiums and, and hearing fan noise again? Oh, it was astonishing. I did two games over the weekend. I did Brent, Brent for Friday night and then Tottenham um, yesterday. And they're obviously two very different stadiums. Brentford's is really tight and compact and brilliant new ground. They've done it so well. But sometimes these new sort of grounds can, you know, feel like a bit of a sort of a, a, a lower ground and not feel sort of up to, up to stand and feel a bit, you know, as if it's not really sort of Premier League or sort of higher divisions, but actually they've, they've captured that atmosphere. It's fantastic. And it was rocking. You'd think, it, honestly, you'd think it was three times as many fans in as well. So that was fantastic. And what an occasion, you know, for, for Brentford. Um, and then Spurs, the big stadium experience, basically. It felt like you were going for a little sort of kind of small gig into a stadium gig. Or, you know, sort of those are the differences, really. And the band was absolutely brilliant on both occasions, really, because the stadium was fantastic, so noisy. And so, you know, it was, I, I described it as raucous, you know, sort of the White Hart Lane atmosphere. It was fantastic from first moment to last. It really gave Spurs that energy because, blimey, they were struggling first half. Um, and the noise then sort of kind of swept them through. And it just, I mean, it, I have to say, it feels really, really strange. As someone who has been lucky enough and fortunate enough to see so many games behind closed doors, then reduced capacities, capacities, obviously right at the end of the season. And then suddenly from that into these com completely chock-a-block stadiums, please don't get me wrong, I'm complaining, but it just felt such a strange experience. And that more than anything else that I've sort of experienced in the last 18 months gives, gives me hope that we'll sort of kind of go back to normal and have normal life again, which I guess, I guess we've all been missing so much. But the noise and the atmosphere, it's like football's just not, it's become almost cliched in saying it, but football is not the same game without fans. It's wonderful to have fans back this weekend. Um, Aaron, you were in the away end uh, at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium uh, yesterday. Obviously not the result that you wanted, but from a fan's point of view, um, you know, probably similar to, to what John was saying there, it was just it was just fantastic to be back almost. You probably felt like a kid at Christmas yesterday morning, I'm guessing, when you woke up and, and knew that you were going to watch your beloved city again. Yeah, I was lucky enough to also have a ticket when we played Tottenham in the Carabao Cup final. You know, when we had, to, I think, just 2,000 fans packed in. So I've kind of had a little bit of that experience of what it's like, you know, being back in an in away end. And, but I don't know, there was just something a bit more special just because of how many like, home fans and stuff there were. Like, obviously, you know, there's a lot of you know, verbals between fans, all the stuff that you don't realise that you miss about football all happening again. And you do get little, like, almost goosebumps, you know, when you, you hear, like, chanting on the terrace and, you know, stuff like that again or down the concourse. and. It's, it was just, um, I mean, everything other than what happened on the pitch was quite a joyful experience. Um, I really, um, yeah, really enjoyed being back and, um, 
Yeah, I, I agree with John. I thought the Tottenham fans, to be fair, were good. That the stadium's loud. They've done it so well with that roof that kind of hangs over um, kind of all the grounds. So it, you know, it really does echo in there when they when they go in. It's, um, it's a fantastic stadium, and yeah, great, great to see it full again. Yeah, it was great to see as well when, uh, from watching it on Sky where they've got all the, the flags out as well and it looked really great. Like you could just see like a kind of almost like a sea moving in, in the stands as well. It looked really good. Um, in terms of the match itself, John, uh, no Harry Kane, but no problem for Tottenham. Huming Song uh, scoring the only goal of the game in the second half. Um, and I was quite impressed. Uh, you know, all, all this whole negativity around Spurs, uh, for those of you that might be listening in and aware I am a Spurs fan myself, I try to kind of distance myself from that negativity surrounding Nuno. He wasn't necessarily everyone's first choice, but for me yesterday, he looked like he got it tactically spot on against Pep Guardiola. Yeah, he did. And look, I, uh, yeah, I do see sort of some of the negativity around Nuno because he, he's far from being the first choice. And sometimes, at, you know, at Wolves last season, it sort of kind of, it, it did go, it, it, you know, sort of almost petered out, you know, because he did wake a sleeping giant, but he was obviously deemed not quite enough to take, good enough to take Wolves to the next level. And now Spurs are appointing him. And, you know, so it's kind of a bit of an unfair foundation, really, because I do think that, you know, Nuno proves himself to be a very good manager at Wolves. And, um, you know, you speak to sort of Wolves players and they really enjoyed it, it, it enjoyed working for him and working with him. And sort of they, they were saying what a good coach he was. And I thought Spurs looked a well-coached team. The other thing that really caught my eye was just how fitter and sharper they were, I think, in comparison to City, who... You know, no one's going to question their quality, right? But I thought the difference being that City carried a lot of players and obviously had a star-studded bench from a few players that were sort of kind of, you know, who'd been involved in the Euros. He, you know, started with Sterling and you can, you know, in Grealish and you compared those to kind of, you know, someone like Tanganga, who was at times doubled up against uh, Grealish and Sterling. Well, Sterling got a substitute and Grealish went down blind alleys. You know, I thought Grealish had an interesting debut, but it wasn't spectacular. And that was a lot to do with Tanganga. I think that, you know, the system that Spurs set up, they, they understood their jobs perfectly. I thought the two centre-halves were really good. Um, you know, the midfield was was set up well. Lucas Moura, the energy and, and the breaks that he provided was great. You know, Bergwin always seems to turn up in big games. You know, there's something about him. He doesn't play that that much to be honest and yeah a big game comes around and he plays you know and he, he, he generally does well and um, and Son yeah Son again the, the, the unselfish work that he did for the team just gave Spurs that outlet and the biggest factor I felt was that you know Spurs obviously did that did well with their with their midfield and you know Skip I thought had a good game as well and they were just getting behind City's defence you know, they were playing on the break. They were playing as if they were the away team on the counter-attack. And City struggled to get, you know, to get to grips with it, particularly as the game wore on, particularly in that second half. And I thought that Spurs were really set up well. I mean, you know, arguably a little bit lucky not to concede in the first 20 minutes. But once you once you see out that storm, I thought Spurs were really well structured. I was really impressed with Spurs. Uh, Aaron, obviously you were in the stadium, so you might not have, have seen too much of it, but the Sky pundits uh, yesterday and Gary Neville in particular um, didn't seem too impressed with Man City's backline. Uh, it was the same one that started uh, the Community Shield the previous week against Leicester, obviously lost that game one nil as well. Uh, Benjamin Mendy was uh, particularly criticised yesterday as well. Just in terms of, of that defence, obviously the, the first choice defence that City had last season where it had Kyle Walker, John Stones in it as well. Ruben Diaz was part of it but he didn't look to be at his best yesterday as well. He, he 
maybe a little bit at fault for the goal in terms of where he tried to block it and falling over. Um, we talk about City having this great squad, but is there potentially, in terms of one little weakness, maybe that, that lack of a little bit of strength and depth in defence and particularly at left-back? Yeah, left-back is the, is the problem position. Well, well, it's not the problem position. Up front is the problem position, but I mean, I assume we'll come on to Harry Kane later on. Yeah. But um, the left-back is definitely a problem position for City. Like Benjamin Mendy, I mean, bless him, but I mean, he's just not good enough. If we're being absolutely frank, he's just not good enough. Um, Zinchenko, we know, can do a job, but it's just it's one of them positions where City have okay players rather than world-class players, unlike everywhere else on the pitch. And what I would say about the defence though yesterday, they they look quite lethargic. I think John was right when he said about how Spurs just look fitter and sharper than than City all day. Defensively, I thought they just looked really, really lethargic. And I don't I wonder whether that we have to ask questions about Pep Guardiola in pre-season because last season City didn't play a pre-season game and they started the season really poorly. This season they haven't they've had a in my opinion, a dreadful pre-season. I think they they played Blackpool and Preston, I think, and that and that was it. And, you know, they, they never really tested themselves against real quality in pre-season. Now they're coming into a season and looking really kind of sluggish again for the second year in a row. And I, I, I do think maybe we've, we've got to question Guardiola and in, in, in his preparation um, for seasons because this year the Premier League is going to be a hell of a lot closer than it was last year. And I don't, I don't think City can really afford to have that run where we get to the middle of October and you know City is sixth, seventh in the table because. There's every chance Chelsea, Liverpool, United might have pulled away. Um, but yeah, the, defensively, there um, there's a few questions. But I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not overly concerned because obviously I know that Bones is going to come back. Laporte's, you know, going to hopefully be in the mix if he doesn't leave. And um, but yeah, um, a little concerning. And yeah, left back is, is a problem position. John, Aaron touched it there briefly about the fact that we are going to talk about Harry Kane. And funnily enough, he is going to be the next talking point. Um, you both mentioned it about how slow. Man City looked, and, it, and especially in the tack, kind of walking football, I think was the term that they used in Sky quite a lot, where they were, um, and, and it did seem like that, 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 that in possession they weren't, when City can be quick and popping it around and, and knocking it in, in one-touch passes, teams can't live with them. But yesterday, they weren't really doing that. I wonder if that's maybe because they, they were still lacking that focal point in attack. And you wonder if, where we spoke about Jack Grealish earlier and how he didn't maybe have the best of debuts, that if he did have an actual proper out-and-out number nine in the middle to, to kind of, maybe draw defenders away from or, or something to aim for in the box that maybe it might have been a little bit different for Jack yesterday. Yeah, look, it felt a bit weird really post-match asking Guardiola about, you know, his lack of, um, you know, his team's lack of uh, a clinical finish and lack of a clinical finisher. Um, because obviously, you know, they played for large chunks of, of last season without that focal point, without the sort of kind of classic number nine, you know, obviously it did at times, but I... I uh, you know they got round it last, you know, last season and, and and excelled last season without one really. As Guardiola obviously quickly responded, you know, and it's understandable. But I do think that you know Grealish feasted on having a player to to aim for a lot, and you know he's probably going to take some getting used to. I mean Torres just looks so out, really, of uh, you know. <sighs> I just don't think there's various you know ways that that City could go for it as a false nine and Torres to me Aaron you you know you see him absolutely every single minute of every single game but Torres never seems to be the answer or the solution on that and I feel a bit sorry for Torres because he's clearly a very good player but he just doesn't seem to have been able to you know give him his head yet and in his proper position and his proper role so you know there's, I'm sure there's more to come from him but they've just got to find a solution. 
clearly doesn't think that sort of Gabriel Jesus is the long-term solution on that. They've got to they've got to do Kane, I think, because I think it's also brought into more sharp focus by the fact that Chelsea have strengthened significantly with Lukaku. Wouldn't surprise me if they if they did something else as well. Um, and then United look a lot stronger, and I think they are going to face a title race this season. It's not going to be so one sided. It's going to be a much t- a tougher title race, and I do think that they need that centre forward, and I think they need someone who's sharp. Who's who's quicker can drop, who can play, and you know also be the front runner and sort of get on the end of crosses and give you know the the, the wide players something to aim at, particularly Jack Grealish because he's been used to that at Villa. Well, it, the simple solution is Harry Kane, isn't it? And I just think that he would be perfect for for, for that. I don't know whether yesterday the fact that Spurs won um, and City lost, looking as if they needed a, a number nine, strengthened City's. <laughs> sees his hand somewhat I, I, I doubt it I probably think that sort of Daniel Levy would come away thinking well I can add another 10 million onto the valuation here but it's so obvious what City need and and I love City I'm such a big admirer of City I love watching them play as someone who's a pure football fan as well I just think we are living the best time in the Premier League because I think Guardiola is a genius and you've got to enjoy this City side but I do feel that they would be so much better with a really functional working number nine. And Harry Kane is that, you know, is that player they need? Aaron, this is going to be the 100 million or 160 million pound uh, question. Um, but from a fan's point of view, would you have rather, and obviously look, this depends, and this is all hypothetical, depends on chairmen and negotiations and everything else. But in terms of the dealings that Man City have done this summer, would you have rather got Harry Kane in first and then maybe worry about whether or not we could get the Jack Grealish deal over the line rather than the order it looks like? Man City have obviously gone down signing Jack Grealish first and still tried to get Harry Kane possibly. 100%. I think Harry Kane, as, as everything John just said, I, I agree with completely. He's, he, he was, he is the player that City need and, you know, and are missing in, in that team. Um, ultimately, I, I think City will pay for it if they don't, you know, sign Harry Kane. And the reason Man United was so good for so many years is because they never let the rivals catch up. They were quite, you know, ruthless in the transfer market. You know, they kept bringing in quality players the best players in the world, they kept on getting better. And I think City, without signing Harry Kane, are almost letting the rivals catch up a little bit. And I think that's a really, really dangerous thing to do. If you're going to stay as the best team in the country, you want to be the best team in Europe, I think you've got to be, you know, you've got to get players like Harry Kane. And and yesterday to showcase that, you know, City are not the complete package, and you know, unless they have a proper number nine. And, and, and John was absolutely right in that Gabriel Jesus probably isn't the answer to that. So, they're going to have to invest. They're going to have to invest quite soon because I think there's only two weeks of the window left now, isn't there? And um, it's um, yeah, I, I think there'll be serious questions if if the deal doesn't get done because yes, City lasted half of last season without a striker, but there were a lot of times last season as well where it didn't quite work as well. So yeah, I, I think Harry Kane is, is is the one that we need. Grealish is with the greatest respect to Jack Grealish, obviously a spectacular player, but he's almost much of a muchness in terms of what City you know already have. Um, it's hundred million pounds on a player who's never played in Europe, couldn't get into the England team in the Euros. Um, whether that's the right decision or wrong decision, I know there's obviously a lot of people who wanted him in there, but I think Harry Kane was is, is the proven talent that, that City really need. 
Chaps, um, that's probably enough on Tottenham's uh, magnificent win. I'm still, I'm still yet to get the smile off my face. I think you know, I kind of, <laughs> I've done that weird thing where you stay up and watch match of the day as well last night. Kind of like really drink it in, even though I watched the whole ninety minutes. You have to watch the highlights again. It's a weird, <laughs> weird thing that my dad does as well when he's watching like Gaelic football. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's enough about me, old man. Um, so Friday night. That's when the big kickoff was. Uh, Brentford taking on Arsenal. A brilliant win, uh, as John touched on earlier in the show. Obviously, being there in the ground uh, at the Brentford Community Stadium. Um, but John, for Arsenal, uh, Jamie Carragher probably summed it up brilliantly. Uh, new season, but same old Arsenal. It was, it, it was a lot of familiar problems that seemed to kind of haunt them on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, where, where, where do you want to start with the you know the goalkeeper who doesn't? He's probably you know shaky and, and lacking confidence because they know he knows that they're trying to bring in a new goalkeeper or the defence that basically you know Ben White I felt really sorry for him he was almost caught in the eye of the storm and that, I mean that's not a game to judge Ben White on because you've got to have I, I, I mean Ben White's clearly a very good footballer but you need someone alongside him I think as sort of a bit of a rock really and, and Pablo Mari's not that player so they both look bad as a result or the midfield look you know lacking Thomas Putty. I thought Lukonga actually looked looked He's decent, actually. So, you know, or, you know, up front where Martinelli struggled to get anywhere near in, into the game. Balogun, you know, everyone's been talking about Balogun amongst the sort of kind of the the Arsenal, um, you know, fraternity is sort of, you know, is he, is he good enough? When's he going to get his chance? Well, he got his chance and then obviously couldn't take it really. And I don't know. I just thought there were so many elements to it. Arsenal looked completely undercooked. They don't look ready. They look an absolute shambles at the moment. I mean, on and off the pitch, you'd have to say. I mean, fair play to the club. You've got to say, I think they'll burst through the £100 million barrier. I really do in signing players. They've signed, you know, Ben White for, for a lot of money. What, £24 million on two others um, to bolster the squad. Um, there's no doubt about it. They're in the market for, for a goalkeeper, a, a, a big price. They would like to do a striker and another creative midfielder. Well. They're going to spend a lot of money and they are going to back Mikel Arteta to the hilt. Is that the right thing to do, though? I mean, that's the point, isn't it? I mean, it's full of belief in the manager. And I think as a manager, that's all you'd want, the full support and backing of the club. But are they getting the right deals done? Well, I do think at the end of the window, Edu, you know, the technical director, I think a lot of people will be looking saying, well, you know, let, let's judge him on this and whether this comes off. Um, but I do think that perhaps the bigger question that's worrying fans is, and I think the fans generally have been quite supportive of Arteta um, and sort of been quite patient with him, uh, are beginning to doubt whether he's the right man um, to take him forward. I think the match-going fan, I think, is a different animal from some of the sort of loud voices you see sort of kind of, you know, saying, screaming, shouting. And, and I think they've been patient with Arteta. But, I, you know, a lot of them are now thinking, well, you know, where, where's this one going? Because I don't, you know, I think it's make or break for Arteta. And Friday night, I think, would worry you as a fan. It really would. Because to show a lack of organisation, to show a lack of heart and spirit in the way that they did, they're completely outfought and outmaneuvered by Brentford, who are worthy of their win. Um, you know, it, I don't think it's, it's you know, it's, it's particularly good times for, for Arsenal. And yet, and yet they are backing the, the manager. It's 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 a really strange scenario. And now they're you know faced by the fact that now they've got um, Chelsea and Man City next. Well, <laughs> how are you going to cope with that? It's going to be very difficult. 
Yeah, with the uh, greatest of respects to Arsenal, they look a, a million miles away from being in a title race this season. However, it uh, looks like Man United, Chelsea and Liverpool could all feature in it. Uh, big statement wins for all three at the weekend. Uh, Man United beating Leeds 5-1, Chelsea beating Crystal Palace 3-0 at home and Liverpool 3-0 victors at Norwich. Aaron, you touched on it a bit before about the title race looking a hell of a lot tighter this season compared to last. And the fact that all three of those teams put down statement wins on the opening weekend uh, and all looked fairly impressive. Um, of course, they're going to have tougher tests throughout the season, but it does look like it's shaping up to be a, a cracking season again. Yeah, it's looking like it's going to be you know, a really, really close title race. It's, um, I mean, I, I thought Liverpool looked very, very good, uh, especially uh, against Norwich. Yes, I think we know that Norwich are going to be you know, down near the bottom of the table, but I think Liverpool just had a bit of a ruthless streak about them that you know they, they didn't have last year. Um, they, they looked like serious contenders. I mean, and, and if we're talking about ruthlessness, then obviously United were... You know, were, were brilliant against Leeds, as much as it pains me to say. Um, they were. Um, I, I thought you, you know, United looked like a serious team, serious contenders. And Varane, when he comes in, is only going to make them stronger as well. Um, obviously, we've not even mentioned Chelsea there, but they, they they've done a job there. They're clearly a good side. Um, it, it's fascinating. It's nice to come into a season and almost not know who's going to win. Or it's not even a two horse race. It's there. There are four contenders. I think this year. Um, if we're being, you know, completely um, realistic, and it's uh, it's really, really exciting. But um, yeah, Liverpool are the ones for me that I watched, and I just thought there's, they've got a bit of spark back there. There's the Liverpool that won the league are, are back out on pitch, and uh, I think they'll be the ones to watch, um, or at least from a Man City point of view, who should, you know, are, are, are rightly the favourites. I think Liverpool are the ones I think they should be most scared of. John, uh, we touched on Brentford earlier. Uh, Watford were another promoted side winning. Obviously, we mentioned the fact that, that Norwich went down 3-0 to Liverpool as well. But in terms of those promoted sides, it looks like Watford could be maybe the side that they were previously in the Premier League, like a, a solid mid-table side. Uh, they looked really good on the attack, I thought, against Aston Villa. Brentford as well, a brilliant win for them uh, against Arsenal. So they look like they've got enough about them to hopefully keep themselves above water. For Norwich, though, it looks like a, a totally different story. They just look like exactly the same team that they were a couple of years back in the Premier League. Doing well, playing well, um, but just completely cut open at a higher level. Yeah, I, I would worry about Norwich a little bit. I mean, it, you know, Wendy was such a good player for them last season. Um, and to be honest with you, it feels like it, it feels like from sort of, you know, looking on that they've They've sold Wendy and then haven't done much. And the Norwich mate of mine that was quick to correct me last week and said, well, no, actually, they spent 40 million quid, which they have. But I don't know that they look stronger, though, as a result, because obviously they've spent that, that money across different players and they, they worry me defensively. And yet, you know, they've got a couple of good, you know, fairly solid centre-halves that, you know, you'd like to think. Max Aaron's obviously a good, really good player at right back. Um, and the you know goalkeeper with with Premier League experience, and they brought one a good backup in my in my view, sort of in in Angus Dunn. So I, I do think that, that, that they're a worry because last time they came up and didn't want to kind of invest and be sort of a hostage to fortune on signing Premier League players and bringing in Premier League contract. And it feels very much they've taken a similar route this time as well. They're determined to do the Premier League on a budget, not be reckless. Um, and try and sort of, you know, go through the season and, and then sort of kind of survive and then maybe build, you know, for the for the long term. And and maybe that will work. But I did think on 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 Saturday, I mean, during the commentary, we've kept on being reminded, didn't we, that basically they've had a lot of COVID cases and 
and basically their pre-season have been disrupted by COVID. And so maybe we need to take that into consideration. Well, what I would say is that a lot of clubs have sort of faced similar problems. So, you know, maybe they're right in saying that basically, you know, Norwich are, are sort of kind of slightly undercooked. But that performance worried me. They, they were one of my three tips to go down because I just don't think that they've got, you know, enough uh, sort of strength and confidence there to kind of defy them. I really hope they stay up because it's a nice club and it's just cracking atmosphere. Always a good place to go to, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that it'll survive at all. Aaron, was there anything else on the uh, opening weekend that caught your eye at all? I thought perhaps maybe Rafa Benitez's win at Everton, kind of similar to Nuno, almost needed that win to, to kind of get his era off to a good start. I mean, he's definitely had a bit more of a troublesome uh, start to, to life at a new club than Nuno has, definitely. Um, and also, of course, you know, Brighton coming from behind to, to get a good win up at Burnley as well. West Ham doing similar at Newcastle as well. Was there anything else that, that kind of caught your eye in that opening weekend? Yeah, I thought to Southampton, obviously, they, they end up losing to, to Everton. I think the, the, there's probably a, an opinion that a lot of people have that they're going to struggle this season because, obviously, they lost Danny Ings, and they've lost now Vestergaard, the centre-back, and I, I think there was a, a lot of questions about Southampton this season. Yes, they ended up losing to Everton, but what I think they have got that you know definitely works in their favour is, is that striker, Adam Armstrong, who they've brought in. Ultimately, if you're going to stay up, you need to score goals, and I, I think they've actually you know cut, found themselves a really top talent there, you know, really highly rated in the championship. Like Blackburn were gutted to lose him. And I think they might have just found someone there who, you know, can keep him away from the relegation zone. And I mean, it was a great finish that, you know, at Goodison Park for, for his goal. Um, obviously Everton, uh, you know, came back and, and, and got the win. But with um, with Southampton, I think there's um, something to potentially be um, a little bit optimistic about, which, um, which I don't think some people could have said uh, a couple of weeks ago when they saw a couple of the outgoings. John, just wanted to come to you finally uh, in terms of the opening weekend, uh, a very exciting one, some great moments. What was the what was the highlight for yourself for the, the whole weekend? Okay, can I mention the, uh, one uh, one low light before I go on to the highlight? Can I say the one, the one decision which absolutely baffled me? And then I've seen a lot of people saying that basically, oh, you know, it's been a good weekend for VAR was James Tarkowski's goal at Burnley. who And basically, it was the most blatant foul you'll ever see. And I watched, you know, Match of the Day on Saturday night, and the, and the pundits were there sort of, you know, justifying it. And they were in unison, in agreement, saying, oh, yeah, what else could he do? Since when has it been legal, right, as a, as a player attacking the ball to go up to someone and push them aside because they are blocking you off. It's never been that. It's never been the case. And I cannot, for the life of me, understand it or get my head around it. Because he's just gone up to Mopay and just gone, boom. I'm sorry, but there's, you know, there'll be a hundred other penalty box clashes this season where you have the blocker in front of the runner. And it's obvious, you know, to see. And the runner, has to navigate a way round him to get on the end of the ball. That's how it works. You can't just push anyone aside, really. It was the most bizarre thing ever, and I just do not understand it. This justification about the, the, the blocker, I'm sorry. It's how defence you know, works, basically. It's, it works on the Sunday League, and it works in the Premier League. That's, you just can't do it. Anyway, but there you go. My highlight, I'm sorry to go back to the original point, was the fans, basically. I mean, what a weekend, really. It just felt completely different as, as, as a sport, basically. And just the 
you know, the noise that you had and sort of kind of the fans back in, total different environment, you know, and it was it was a bit wacky, wasn't it? Virtually every every team, you know, sort of almost did a lap of honour after the game. And, and you know, I know that sort of maybe Arsenal were thinking, blind, what's going on here with sort of Brentford really? And sort of kind of, that's a bit weird, sort of do a lap, lap of honour after one win. Well, the reality was that that's the first time back in for 18 months as a full stadium capacity. What a moment, what an occasion. And it was the same yesterday with, with Spurs. Totally understandable that sort of that teams did a sort of a lap of honour to, you know, to kind of mark the fans back in. It was just completely wonderful, completely overwhelmed by it. It was a brilliant occasion to be in, in a stadium with fans back in. Beautiful, wonderful atmosphere. And, and Aaron, for yourself, just briefly, what was what was the kind of crowning moment for you? Obviously, sadly, no Man City win. I promised him that I wouldn't crow too much about the result, but <laughs> managed to get one in at the end. No. You know what? And, and this is a really rogue good thing. I really enjoyed having Saturday 3pm kickoffs and football not on TV. And I know that sounds really strange, but football last season became so oversaturated. It was on every single night. And I'll be honest, I got so bored of football towards the back end of last season. I don't know if that's partly because the fans weren't in there, but it was just constant football, football, football. And to have like that bulk of games at 3 p.m., following it with like Soccer Saturday, you know, on the apps on your phone. And I just, I enjoyed having normality back. It was a really normal football weekend. And I actually really enjoyed the fact that we've gone back to kind of the, the structure that we had. And um, nobody wants to see as much football as they did last season. And like, we, 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 say, we say that we love the game and stuff, but I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, there were some dreadful games on Wednesday nights and Thursday nights that I found myself watching and I just really don't want to do that again. So it was just nice to be normal again. Uh, Jens, thanks so much for joining us uh, today. Really appreciate your time. Uh, before we go, I just want to flag up some more shows that we've got coming for you this week. Uh, we've got a new EFL uh, review show every Tuesday for you. Uh, John will be back on Thursday with some more of our uh, writers from across our national titles for the regular Football Digest show. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking plenty more about Harry Kane on that, John, and probably Arsenal too. Um, but that's all for me to say for now. Uh, and so it's goodbye.